everyone is hiding something. Whether or not you know that something is being hidden is a matter of how well they are hiding it. What are you hiding from yourself and how well are you hiding it? Welcome, listeners, to In the Shadows. Today we are covering the mysterious disappearance of Sunny Lane, a young girl who vanished under mysterious circumstances in the 1930s. On May 13, 1933, nine-year-old Sunny had been staying with her aunt Lessie and her uncle Henry, as well as her cousin Constance, in New York City while her parents went on vacation to the shores of Cayuga Lake, also in New York. Henry Lane was, at the time, suspected by his wife to be in dealings with the local mafia family, a group of spider demons called the Ragnos, and at the time headed by Don Anthony Ragno. However, Lessie never called him out on it and it was never brought up. Fifteen-year-old Constance decided to take the younger Sunny out shopping, and a few of her friends decided to join them, despite the youngest member of the group for the day. Constance often went over to babysit Sunny, so her mother agreed to let the older girls watch over her for the afternoon while she stayed at home and cooked. The group of girls walked around town, and Sunny stayed with them the entire time. It wasn't until the friends left the last door and began walking home that Sunny's presence began to be debated. Either way, the nine-year-old was with the group when they began walking home, but by the time the entire group arrived back at Constance's apartment, Sunny was no longer with them. Henry Lane was still not home from work, but Lessie and two of the girls began to call out and look for Sunny. Constance went with one of her friends to retrace their steps, and though they didn't find her, they did notice a pair of eight-legged and eight-eyed demons in the area, which they avoided. As the sun began to set and Henry arrived home from work, all of Constance's friends headed home with promises to keep an eye out for the missing Sunny. However, none of them were able to find her, and with no trace of their niece anywhere, Lessie and Henry went to the police station to report her missing still not telling Sonny's vacationing parents. When there was still no trace of Sonny a full 48 hours later, Henry returned to work and left his wife to worry and continue checking in with the police alone. While Constance's inattentiveness may have been a deciding factor in Sonny's disappearance, anxiety over her missing cousin made Constance made Constance grievously ill, and she was forced to stay home from school and no longer participate in the search.
The family began to look into possible kidnappings and who might have done such a thing. Coincidentally, there were warnings and reports of a trafficking gang in the area, which worried the lanes even more. Children had been kidnapped in the area before, but they were usually a few years older than Sunny, at around 11 to 14 years old. Sunny's parents were finally contacted with news of their daughter's disappearance, and they immediately decided to return to the city. The search for Sunny Lane spread throughout the city and the rest of the state. Police forces from New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania also getting the message. After there were still no news of her, not even a sighting, people began to suspect more supernatural causes as well. It was suspected that the Fae had kidnapped Sunny with the intention of replacing her with a changeling, though that rarely happened past infancy, and forgot about the latter half of their plan. It would explain why none of the girls had noticed her disappearance, as the good folk have illusion and trickery on their side. Perhaps the city had grown fond of the girl and swallowed her up into the asphalt, hiding her away into the bones of New York forever. Also not impossible, it had happened before, but unlikely. The family, along with some friends and oddly helpful strangers, scraped together $2,000 as reward for Sonny's return, a fairly large sum in 1933, and equivalent to over $29,000 today. The money was to be paid to anyone who managed to return her alive, no questions asked. They hoped that the large sum of money would persuade anyone who had kidnapped her. Fae, who have made their homes in more urban settings, are more difficult to find, with no folklore to guide one along, but hopscotch grids and certain sidewalk cracks will do the trick just fine. It was at this time, when all lines and leads had turned up nothing, that it became known that Henry Lane was conspiring with the Ragnos on the case. The Ragno Mafia family had long been suspect in little Sunny Lane's disappearance, though no one had dared to contact them outright about it. However, the Ragnos had long been known not to deal in people, preferring to stick with drugs and weapons, as trafficking conflicted with Anthony Ragno's personal moral code. Which, you know, we won't question terribly hard, but like, he killed people and stuff? You know what? We aren't questioning it. They're spiders, and I don't anger spiders as part of my personal moral code. Either way, at this point, the Lanes had had the police forces of four different states, as well as a powerful and offended mafia family helping them with the search. Dead ends began to pile up as the search reached two months, and then three, and little Sunny Lane was still... Nowhere to be found. 
It was the Ragnos who turned up the first clue that actually led somewhere. An associate of the family had found an appropriately nine-year-old girl wandering the streets of Chicago alone who matched the description of Sunny Lane. The associate in question was a man named Frank, who ran a speakeasy in the city. So instead of telling the police, the Lanes gave pictures of Sonny to the Ragnos, who sent men to Chicago for further proof. This time, the girl was found with a woman who insisted that she was the girl's mother. She did have some similarity to the girl, but upon closer inspection, the girl matched the photos of Sunny Lane almost exactly. However, she repeatedly insisted that her name was actually Marie, and the woman she was with was her mother, and that she didn't know who Sunny Lane was. Suspiciously, when asked, the girl did not know what her last name was, nor the name of the woman she was found with, only calling her mother, when Sunny had always called her mother Mama. The woman's name was Eleanor Anderson, who claimed the girl's name was Marie Anderson and that they were mother and daughter, though the girl matched almost exactly the girl in the photographs. There was no way of confirming or disputing Marie's claim. They placed a tracking spell on Eleanor, took photos of the girl in question, and sent them back to the lanes in New York City. Upon seeing the photographs, Sonny's parents almost immediately recognized a distinctive birthmark on the inside of the girl's arm, which was not in any of the photographs they sent with the rag nose. They also recognized a mole on the side of her nose. Believing the case to be solved, the entire Lane family, along with Anthony Ragno, made the trip west to Chicago, where the men there were once again tracking down Marie and Eleanor. Yes. Oh my! <laughs> okay. Lord. Okay. Do you want to do one recording and then just like send me the recording of like both you cast in mine? Sure. And then we can just trim it. And okay. it's fine. <laughs> oh, we also have to record the thing for your. Okay. Yeah, this is. I'll try to make it quick. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just that didn't register in my brain. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to do yours first? Sure. Uh, okay. Welcome back to WNTH eighty-eight point one FM with Classic Rock Radio. I'm Juliet, and today we are going to do a little podcast session with Jennifer. So, Jennifer, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Um, it's nice to be here, I would say, if I was in the studio recording with you. Unfortunately, yep. I'm not. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's good to be talking to you. Well, awesome. So uh, I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions about your uh, music taste and like what bands you like to listen to. So what are you currently listening to right now that's like really your favorite song? Ooh, right now I'm listening to a lot of Heather's The Musical. It's not a Broadway musical, mm-hmm. but I really like it. Um, and yeah, it's really funny. Oh, cool. I actually really like Heather's The Musical too. So what's your favorite song in Heather's? Definitely the opening number. It's called Beautiful. It's kind of long, but it's definitely my favorite. Mm. Yeah, it's like seven minutes long, I think. So what's your, so because it's seven minutes long, uh, what's your favorite part of the song? Because there's like many different like scenes that take place in the song. 
Yes, my favorite is probably uh, a scene that takes place close to the end. Uh, the characters are in a bathroom and the main girl, the leading lady, um, goes into the bathroom and meets the popular girls, quote unquote, um, which, because it's kind of like Mean Girls, which is more mm -hmm. popular, and she kind of joins up with them. There's some drama with a teacher and a forged note, and it's very dramatic, but I like it a lot. Yes, I love that dramatic flair that musicals always have. Um, so I also know the song Beautiful, and so uh, my favorite part is probably when the Heathers are walking through and it's like super dramatic with like the lunch trays that are like lifting up to reveal all of the Heathers and like how beautiful they are and stuff. And then when Veronica, the leading lady, comes in and is like, oh my gosh, I'm a Heather. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what kind of bands do you like to listen to besides Heathers and, you know, people? Oh, this is going to sound super cringy, but I actually really like Panic at the Disco. Oh, yes. So do you like the uh, older stuff or the newer stuff? Very I different. much prefer the older stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I think the new age of Panic at the Disco is much more of like uh, poppy, that kind of stuff. It's more on the char charts than like uh, their older rock, more alternative stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's very cool. What's your favorite song from uh, Panic at the Disco? Probably Nicotine. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll try and see if I can play that. <laughs> we'll find out if it's radio friendly. But mm -hmm. yeah, all right. Thank you. So that was Jennifer. And uh, you have a podcast. You have a horror podcast uh, through WNTH.com. So what's it called again? It's called In the Shadows. All right. Very cool. And what's it about? Like, what do you do? It's a horror fiction comedy podcast uh, about a true crime podcaster that lives in a world where the supernatural is involved with true crime. Sounds very cool. And that you can find that on WNTH.com and you can just click the link and then they'll send you directly to the Spotify page for that podcast. And I will be featuring in that podcast uh, next week. So thank you so much for uh, stopping by Jennifer and uh, thank you for your awesome recommendations and songs. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Okay. <laughs> oh my. Now we got the, the other one. Um okay. let's see. Uh, I... Let me turn off my camera because I'm gonna be staring at this and it's gonna be like <laughs> a little awkward. Uh all right. And Offline changes you made may have been lost pre- oh, wait. That's fine. None of us made changes. Yeah. Do -do -do. It's loading. We better stop. <laughs> Was Julia Barnett to me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, now it's working. So I'll just start then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Stop. That's private information. You can't just... How do you even know that? I haven't even told my family. Haha. <laughs> well, if you're actually curious, it's quite a simple ritual. You need a handful of pine boughs. No, I'm not actually curious. I just need you to not reveal personal information to the public, if you please. 
personal information that can easily be found after less than an hour of looking? Personal information that would put myself and a good number of people in danger, yes. Besides, wait, are you still recording? Awesome, thank you. <laughs> Yay. Here's <laughs> hoping that actually goes through. Yeah, oh my gosh. Oh my, if we have to we'll do this see. again, I'll cry. Also my iPad <laughs> yeah. is like going to run out of battery. So. Yeah. Here's to hoping. While on their way to Chicago, the family received a letter from Eleanor Anderson to the Lanes and sent them through the Ragno family. It read, in part, I know that you believe you have found your girl, but I swear that it is not her. Once you see her, you will know, and if you take my daughter away from me, you will also take from me my life. Marie is my only child and my light, and I have ways of getting her back should she be stolen from me. When they arrived in Chicago to meet with the girl, she did not react well to them and refused to interact with people who should have previously been her beloved family members, not even Constance, whom Sunny Lane had shared a close relationship with. She also had her story straighter this time and insisted that her name was Marie Anderson and that Eleanor Anderson was her mother. Despite this, upon the inspection of Sonny's parents, they confirmed to the Ragnos that this was indeed their daughter, recognizing several other marks, such as a notable scar on her chin from when she had fallen from her bicycle. The girl was separated from Eleanor Anderson with much distress, and the Lanes and Ragnos returned together to New York. Eleanor Anderson remained in Ragno family's custody for the next five years, and then was released with an intense fear of spiders. The girl remained Sunny Lane for the rest of her life, and never regained memory of what had happened before she had been returned to her family in New York, other than a distinct urge to respond to the name Marie for years afterwards. What is to be learned from the story, my dearest listeners? Is it that there must always be a loser that comes away from the situation with a newfound fear of spiders? That women named Eleanor are more inclined to be kidnappers than other women? Or perhaps that a mafia family will go to any lengths to clear their name of a particular crime? Lengths such as putting an illusion and memory spell on a nine-year-old girl named Marie Anderson. As always, thank you for listening. Up next, a memory of your childhood that seems more like a dream than anything else. Why don't you remember any of the people in the memory? Why do they seem so familiar despite that? Just what? are you forgetting? 
stay tuned.